as we come and we brought those cornerstones to conclusion, what next? What do we do now? Well, I pray if we'll put all those cornerstones and apply them to our lives, what I'm going to talk about today will be true in your life. But first, let me ask you a question. What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, what if you knew that today was your last day on earth? What if you knew absolutely that today was it, your last day on earth? Would you put God in his rightful place in your life? Would you get rid of anything that keeps you from pleasing God? If you knew today was it, your last day, with all that's in you, would you seek to be a blessing to other people? This week, I read, actually reread, that those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. Those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. Now, the history of the people of Israel was given to you and I so that we could learn lessons and avoid repeating the same mistakes they did. But what lessons? What mistakes? I mean, if God's chosen people, the Jews couldn't get it right, then it must be really complicated, right? But in reality, it's amazingly simple. It's so simple, you will wonder, how could anybody get it wrong? It's so simple, you'll ask yourself, why do I always forget this? See, Israel had been called to be the light of God to the world. But often they would re reject that God-given call and through continued disobedience, they found themselves under God's judgment for the whole country. Now, today, in our day, the church is granted the task to reflect God's truth and reflect God's light. But just like Israel, there are many congregations within the body of Christ who fail to live in obedience to God. And like Israel, these Christians begin to suffer the effects of their failure. And many, many congregations within the body of Christ are in desperate, desperate need of revival. I wonder, is Bethel Baptist Church in desperate need of revival? Are we as a church family desperately needing 
a revival of God. Friend, I'm not talking about a a week-long series of services by some guest preacher. I'm not talking about when our emotions get really lifted up, but then they come and go like the wind. No, I am talking about something that could happen in a moment's notice. I'm talking about something where God comes in and he recovers that that has been lost. He repairs that that has been broken. And he restores that that has been taken. Friend, I'm talking about a life-changing encounter with God that causes me to refocus my vision and regain my spiritual enthusiasm. I want the kind of revival that causes me to get my priorities straight. Are we in need of the kind of revival that we're reminded of in 2 Corinthians 5.15 where the Bible says that Christ died for all that those who live would no longer live for themselves but live for Him who died and rose again? I believe that I need a revival that reminds me that I am not my own. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. I belong to Him. And if I belong to Him, then I need to be about my Father's business. Amen? But how? How do I receive that kind of revival? If like me, you feel that you're in need of that good, swift kick in the britches. If, like me, you need that kind of revival, I want to invite you to take the Bibles that are in the front of your pews there or use your Bible and go to a book where the pages stick together, a book of Ezra. The page is 426 in the Bibles in front of you. The book of Ezra, kind of short, but it's going to be very pertinent today. Now, what you need to know while you're looking is that Ezra really is kind of a continuation of the previous book called Second Chronicles. And Ezra is showing how God fulfills His promise to return His people to the promised land. Now, many, many years before that, there was the first exodus when God's people came out of Egypt, do you remember that? About two and a half million that crossed the Red Sea, etc., etc. Well, this is after a 70-year captivity, and it's called the second exodus, when God's people left out, not of Egypt, but they left out of Babylon. Now, the thing about this exodus was that it wasn't the whole nation. In fact... Only a remnant, just a few of the Jewish people chose to leave Babylon. And so, but they did. And Ezra led the people to rebuild the temple of God. And this is what was said in chapter 9, page 426 in your Bibles there in front of you. Chapter 9, 
Just three verses beginning in verse 7. Ezra says, he's a priest, okay? He says, since the days of our fathers to this day, we've been very guilty. And, our, and for our iniquities, we, our kings, and our priests have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands. To the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. Verse 8. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in this holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were, say were, we were slaves. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us and to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So friend, can we learn great lessons from the experiences of Israel? Not only do I think that we can learn lessons, I think we better learn lessons from the experiences of Israel. The first lesson that we need to identify is we need to remember the repercussions of sin. What is a repercussion? A repercussion basically is a consequence. It's a result of something you do or don't do. We better remember the consequences of sin because our sins have consequences. Our sins have repercussions. Let me share a few with you. When we as God's people live in sin, the presence of God will depart. Just like it did here in Israel, it will do today. The prophet Isaiah spoke to God's people saying in Isaiah 59, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he no longer hears you. You know, a lighthouse... A lighthouse is not useful if the glass around the lighthouse is dirty. The dirt dims the light. Then the ships that so desperately need guidance end up crashing on the rocks. God desires that every Christian's life be a lighthouse. Be a lighthouse that gives God's light to a lost world. But friend, if we're living in sin, then we're leading those people to a horrible, horrible crash. If we live in sin, the presence of God will depart. But if we live in sin, the house of God very well could be destroyed. See, the Jewish temple was known as Beth Elohim. Beth Elohim, in English, that means the house of God. Beth Elohim, or get this, Bethel, for short. And the temple, Beth Elohim, was a place where God's people met to worship together. 
But sin brought judgment on Israel. And it also brought destruction to the house of God. You see, in 586 B.C., the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, laid siege to, to, to Jerusalem and destroyed the city and burnt the temple down to the ground. You see, sin is not just personal. Sin is not just personal, it affects the whole body. Sin can destroy a Christian's testimony, but it can also sap the entire church of our ability to reach a community or a nation. When you live in sin, the house of God can be destroyed. But thirdly, when we live in sin, the people of God will be dispersed. There in verse 7, Ezra said, Since the days of our fathers to this day we've been very guilty. And for our iniquities we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, to humiliation as it is this day. You see, at one point, all that mattered to the Jewish people, all that mattered to God's chosen people was destroyed or plundered. And the people themselves became enslaved to the nations that surrounded Israel. Sadly, there are a lot of Christians today who find themselves ensnared in sin. Ensnared in sin and as a result, they are unproductive. They don't bear fruit for God, nor do they glorify God. You've heard that there are churches all over the United States of America that are closing its doors. Why? Perhaps it's because they're living in sin. And when that happens, the people of God are dispersed. For these Christians, the only hope of getting back on track is revival. So one of the great lessons that we learn from the experiences of Israel is remembering the repercussions, the consequences of sin. But I also want you to see their road to revival. Their road to revival. The first step to revival in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of a church or a nation, is to recognize bondage. Recognize bondage when you're in it. In Isaiah 57, Isaiah taught God's people to rebuild the way, to remove every obstacle. For our Lord God Almighty says, I will revive the spirit of the humble, and I will revive the hearts of those who repent, who turn their way from their own way and turn to God's way. You see, it don't take long. If you'll just look around, you can see all kinds of people who are in bondage. We know those who are in bondage to addictions like drugs, like alcohol, like spending, sexual perversions, and the list goes on and on and on. But did you know that there are other bondages that are a little bit less recognizable? Are you living your life in bondage? Did you know that many of God's people are living their lives in bondage? So let's ask ourselves some questions. If I don't have joy, 
godly joy in my life, could it be that I am under the bondage of unhappiness? If I don't have peace, is it possible that I am in bondage to worry? If I don't have faith, could it be that I am in bondage to doubt? If I don't have hope, could it be that I am in bondage to despair? If I don't have assurance, could I be in bondage to fear? If I don't have a sense of worth, could it be that I'm in bondage to some shame? Can I tell you, God is the one that provides the joy. He's the one that provides the peace. He provides the faith. God is the one who provides the hope and the assurance and the sense of worth that you should have. And if any one of these are missing in your life, then you are living in bondage because you're not free to live as God designed you to live. Friends, what we need to do is identify and remove the obstacles that hinder us from living the way God designed us to live. Friend, are you in a place where you are ready? Ready to get jacked up for Jesus, amen? Are you ready for revival in your life? Are you ready for revival in your family? Are you ready for a revival in the United States of America? At Bethel Baptist Church, are you ready, church? If you are, then I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to prepare yourself for the results of revival. When we're willing to repent, when we're willing to turn away from doing things our way and trusting God's way and identifying and removing those obstacles that prevent us from living God's way, then the Bible teaches us there will be a release. Say release. There will be a release from bondage. See there in Ezra chapter 9, verse 8, Ezra said, Now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God. For we were, you said it, we were slaves, yet God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us. If the first sign of revival is recognizing our bondage, then the next step to revival is you better do something about it. Amen? Once you recognize that you're in bondage, the next thing you got to do is, hey, what am I going to do about this bondage I find myself in? Once bondage is recognized, what you got to do is cry out to somebody that can do something about it. Amen? And oftentimes it ain't the man or the woman in the mirror. You got to cry out to someone else who can do somebody, do something for, about it. Because there's never been freedom without a cry to be free. Amen. In Exodus chapter 2, in that first Exodus, the Bible tells us that it happened in the process of time when the king of Egypt died, that the children of Israel groaned. The children of Israel groaned. Why? Because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. See, every time that God's people fell into bondage, they'd cry out to God for deliverance. You see, when people get tired 
of living in bondage? When people get tired of being unhappy, unjoyful, unfaithful, unhopeful, when they get tired of living in that bondage, they're going to cry out to God. They're going to cry out to someone that can do something about it. When they get tired of it, they're going to cry out for help. And that cry, friend, listen, it's not a normal cry. That cry is a cry of desperation. It's a cry that grabs the attention of God. It's a cry that grabs the throne of heaven and begins to shake it. I'm talking about a cry. A cry that cannot and will not go unnoticed. When you recognize your dilemma, friend, don't you spend one more second there than you have to. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. And guess what? He'll revive your joy. He'll revive your peace. He'll revive your hope. Friend, he'll revive your faith. He'll revive your assurance. He'll revive your worship. Friend, he will revive your praise, your song, your dream. He'll revive your spirit. He'll revive your vision, your courage, and he will revive your love. That's what God does. He does something about it. You might say, Bill, when? I've been crying out till I'm blue in the face. When? When will he do it? He'll do it when you recognize that you have lost what you once had and you're crying out to God, believing, believing that he can and that he will restore and revive what's been lost, what's been taken, what's been broken. That's called a release from bondage. It can happen for you. Just like it happened for the nation of Israel. But in revival, not only is there a release from bondage, you can also experience the restoration of life. Did you hear what verse 9 said? He extended mercy to us for what purpose? To revive us. He extended mercy to us to revive us. Revival simply said is a renewal of life in something that once possessed life. A renewal of life in something that once possessed life. It's impossible to revive something that's never been alive, right? So you've got to be in a relationship with God in the first place before you can experience revival. You know, I read about a Christian who fell into sin and was convicted of a crime that put him into prison for seven years. And while he was there, he met a godly worker that led him to know God's power to restore. To restore. And rejoicing, this prisoner wrote on the inside cover of his Bible, the soul that comes to Jesus in the midst of failure, in the midst of shame, in the midst of pain, through God's wondrous love and mercy, may soar high again. You're not stuck there forever. You're not stuck in bondage. God can restore the life you once had. But friend, not only does revival bring a release from bondage and restoration to life, it also will help to rebuild the house of God. See, verse 9 says, He extended mercy to us to revive us and to repair the house of our God and rebuild its ruins. Revival restores the church. And it creates in each one of us a fresh desire to be a channel of blessing for other people. 
It creates in us a fresh desire to focus on the great commission that Jesus gave us. It creates in us a fresh desire to be an instrument of God that changes communities. It changes churches. It changes nations. And it's all by God's great power. You've heard it said that as the church goes, so goes the nation. As the church goes, so goes the nation. So if we want to analyze that statement a little bit, we all recognize the violence and the brokenness of the United States of America. Why is that happening? Could it be because God's churches desperately need revival? See, you can't keep doing things the same way but expecting a different result. You've got to rebuild. It's got to be revived. You've got to rebuild on those ruins. Galatians 5.1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. See, we can't expect the blessing of God to happen in our lives while we're busy mixing with the world. Something's got to change. We've got to live lives that demonstrate the power of God, the power of God to change lives and live as those who have been revived. Is that something you want? It's something I want. Revival is nothing less than a new beginning of obedience to God. A new obedience, of, a new beginning of obedience to God. James Stewart said this, Revival happens when the people of God, when the people of God begin living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched spirit. See, that's the problem. God's people are so busy grieving the spirit of God, quenching the spirit of God within us, that revival doesn't happen. Now listen up. If you're listening, say amen. amen. What you do next after we pray says clearly what you believe about God. What happens from this moment forward should announce clearly to you exactly what you believe. Will you submit to the Spirit's desire to recover what's been lost? To repair what's been broken? To restore what's been taken? Will you surrender to a life-changing encounter with God that causes you to refocus your vision? that also causes you to regain your spiritual enthusiasm for the things of God. Will you remove the obstacles? Remove the obstacles that are keeping you in bondage and cry out to God to be released from that bondage and experience a restoration of abundant life. Remember, it's impossible to revive something that's never been alive. 
It's impossible to revive something that's never been alive in the first place. Maybe you need to be born again today. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ today so that you can identify with that scripture I shared at the beginning that those who live no longer live for themselves. That's huge. Are you hearing me, church? They no longer live for themselves but for Him. That means in everything you do, it's no longer about Bill Barlow. It's all about Jesus Christ and everything that I do. I read this quote. Put that next one up there, Brother Howe. Where it's been said that the church is not waiting on revival. I've heard that over and over again, and I'm sick of it. The church is not waiting on revival. Revival is waiting on the church. I'm not waiting for it. Revival's waiting on me. Friend, have you been obedient to God? Have you been in bondage to some type of fear to where you're just not going to share your redemption story with anybody? Maybe you said, you know what, Bill? I did. I shared my redemption story with a couple people over the last six months. And I'll say that's fantastic and I'm thrilled for you. But what if you could share your redemption story with three or four hundred people on social media? What are you waiting for? Amen? If you want revival in your life, maybe you need to overcome the bondage of fear or embarrassment. Maybe you need to overcome that bondage so that you can enjoy revival. Amen. I want it. You declared that you want it. You know somebody else I know who wants it? The Father wants it. Jesus wants it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise for your word. And Lord, we're reminded today that all the experiences of your chosen nation were written down and provided for us so that we could avoid their mistakes, so that we could learn from their experiences. Lord, I don't want to go deeper into bondage. I want revival. Lord, and I know that revival begins with the man in the mirror. So Lord, help me to release those things that keep me in bondage so that I can honor and glorify you. Lord, help us as a church. Help us as a nation of churches, the body of Christ, to recognize and remove the bondages that we have in our lives. To turn our backs on the sin and to trust your way of living. Lord, let us not keep doing things the same way after 17 cornerstones of faith, surely we learned something. Surely we found one area of our life that desperately needs to improve. Lord, I pray that you would restore to us the abundant life we seek and that you would bring revival into our life and into our churches for your glory. But Lord, we're also reminded that you can't revive something that's never been alive. So if there's one person in the building today or with an earshot of my voice that desperately needs to come to Christ, 
so that they can be alive, born again, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that they would come today before it's infinitely too late. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. We declare with one unified voice that we love you too. And Lord, we want to be revived. Revive us. Rebuild. And restore, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.